To support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Thank you and enjoy the program. Hey, everyone. Here's a great way to support this website and make money for yourself. This is Robinhood, the app that makes investing easier and offers more ways to make your money work harder. Their goal? Investing in financial markets more affordable, more intuitive, and more fun, no matter how much experience you have or don't have. Keep a broker in your back pocket. Everything you need to manage your assets and all available in a single app. Set up customized news and notifications to stay on top of your assets as casually or as relentlessly as you like. Controlling the flow of info is up to you. Have access to stocks, funds, options, cash management, and cryptocurrency. Make unlimited commission-free trades in stocks, funds, and options with Robinhood Financial. The same goes for buying and selling cryptocurrencies with Robinhood Crypto and zero commission fees. Also introducing cash management. Invest, spend, and earn all through your brokerage account. Secure a spot on the waitlist and reserve your card. Here's what I want you to do. Go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate and when you click on the referral banner and securely sign up either using your Android, Apple device, or desktop, you get a share of stock value between $3 and $150 after funding your account. That's all you got to do. You get a free stock. I get a free stock. We all win. Trading terms and conditions still apply. See Robinhood.com for more information. Once again, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate, click on the Robinhood referral banner, and claim your free stock. Robinhood, it's time to do money. What the hell am I looking at? When does this happen in the movie? Now. You're looking at now, sir. Everything that happens now is happening now. What happened to then? We passed then. When? Just now. We're at now now. Go back to then. When? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? Soon. Jay here, PositiveSarcasm.com. Look forward to here at the Spare Parts Studio. Happy Wednesday, everybody. You can find me on Instagram at positive underscore sarcasm. You can find me on Facebook.com slash POS sarcasm. Or if you just want to be my friend, which if you don't, that's perfectly okay. I understand. I uh, rub people the wrong way sometimes. But you can still find me on Facebook.com slash positive sarcasm if you want to go that route. TikTok uh, at positive sarcasm. Not getting involved with the politics of it. Just if you're on there, that's where I am. You can find me. You can follow me. You can comment questions, concerns, comments. YouTube positive sarcasm at outlook.com, and of course YouTube positive sarcasm and positive sarcasm podcast. I'm keeping my energy a little low today. Uh, I want to save all my energy and my immunities up for uh, a weekend that I'm sh- a weekend a weekend that I'm shooting this wedding a wedding that I'm shooting this weekend. So I want to make sure that I am properly healthy and ready and have all of my uh, accoutrements of my brain and my body ready for me so that because when I shoot an event, I go hard in the paint. Like I get up early. I don't stop to the jobs done. I'm carrying weight in a backpack. I have to have all of my mental things ready for me. It's just one of those things like when you're in the, you're in a zone. Like when you're sitting at a poker table and you're just in that rhythm, uh, I'm that's how I am. So being getting ready for that i don't want to have to do anything stupid you won't see me partying the night before or eating a massive amount of shitty food during that week i don't even really i don't even really eat uh i know that normally like events or stuff like that there's food at those events i don't i generally don't partake until i know that i'm at the the tail end of actually shooting because if you're not if you're too busy eating or drinking 
or hanging out with friends or making conversation during the event, you're missing out on golden, potentially golden uh, pictures or video where you just golden moments, Kodak moments, candid moments, moments that could really make or break the video that you're trying to shoot. So by sitting there and shoving a hot dog down your face or doing a champagne toast or something like that, you're missing, you are, you're almost always missing key moments or key angles of that moment because you decided to be selfish and partake in the moment, whereas you are paid or contracted at least to be there for a different reason. doesn't matter whether it's friends, family, profit or nonprofit organizations, you're there to shoot the event. You should be focused way less on eating and drinking and partaking in the social part of it. And you should be focused on being behind the camera looking for those angles. Okay. So that's my advice to anybody who's getting started in this business. Don't worry about the food. Bring your own food. Bring your own meals ready to eat, such as anything that's anything that's energy-related. Don't fill up on granola bars and shit like that. Try a little bit of trail mix, some beef jerky, maybe some banana chips. Definitely bring some energy drinks like powdered thingies that you can pour in some ice and crack at that. You want to be at ready at all times because especially with me because I have five or six cameras that I'm usually dragging along with me, uh, other devices that are, you know, all kinds of stuff. I have, uh, you know, tripods and gimbal stabilizers that weighs as much as a shotgun, um, small shotgun, let's not get carried away, and just other things in general. So my advice to you is have your own food. Don't, don't partake into the event until you're at the tail end of you make sure that you have all your angles shot first and then maybe just maybe have a little something to reward yourself but for me the reward is finishing it and showing it show, finishing the video or the work and showing it to the clients that's kind of my reward knowing that i did a really good job and i have the potential this weekend to do something groundbreaking um or at least well at least as far as my work is concerned so i'm focusing on that um, anyways, you can find me on all social media. You can find me on my website, Positive Sarcasm. And let's see, what else here? So uh, as you, some of you may or may not know that uh, I am definitely uh, on the move, per se. Like the Spare Parts Studio is moving. The question is, how soon? Well, it could be as uh, late as next August, or it could be as early as this November. So right now, because I wanna, I'm thinking to myself, when... Obviously, I don't want to jump the gun right now with the market and the economy and the and the real estate market and just anything in general. Things can change at all times. So we want to make you want to make sure that whatever you do, doesn't matter what your job is or what your small business or large business is or what kind of money you have coming in, you want to make sure that you're not jumping the gun on something where potentially like now you have all this debt and these financial responsibilities. And now you can't afford because anytime you move and you try to go for your dreams, and for me, living by the ocean is a dream. Living in an oceanside community is a dream, um, one that's about to come true. You don't want to obviously, you obviously want to maybe take your time and make sure that you're doing uh, your research and your homework. So maybe doing it right now is not a good idea. Like right, right, like right now, like, okay, let's do it. Pull credit, sign the check, on you go. We're out of here. But at the same time, my other thought is, well, sometimes opportunity, well, opportunity doesn't come at an opportune time. So if something were to come along and this studio had to move within the next 60 to 90 days, 
well, then it has to move within the next 60 to 90 days. It's not the first time that it's happened, and it won't be the, it hopefully, well, it won't necessarily be the last, I don't know if it'll be the last time. I mean, unless this gets, a, this requires an office space. Uh, good movie, by the way. You should check it out. The focus then is to, if something were to come up and this place had to move, it just would. But the idea is if, if it were, I wouldn't want to drag ass this time. Because right now, I don't, right now with everything that is going on, I mean, obviously, I want to avoid any potential nightmare scenarios that would put me in a tough position. Because, I mean, I, I see what's happening with with some people being put in compromising positions or maybe over time putting themselves in compromising positions on purpose or just over time their mental stability to make smart decisions breaks down. So, the like, right now people are split. Right now people are emotional. And right now your focus... As, at least as an individual or as the head of a family or whatever, you want to be making sound decisions. And you have to be in a sound environment in order to make sound decisions. So right now, if it required, if it required my situation to move to the seacoast within the next two months, uh, I would do it. If, if it panned out and the stars aligned, yeah, I would get out of here right then and there. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate. I wouldn't wait another six to eight months, I would get, we would just pack up and bolt. And we're not, there's no settling this time. There's, you go and you get what you want and that's it, no more compromise. You know, I've worked too hard and slept not enough to only compromise at this point. So whatever I decide to do, whatever I decide to purchase, whatever I decide to be a part of and contribute to, it's strictly my decision and leaving leaving this area which i mean i'm not really leave it's like 25 minutes away but you know the the seacoast is only 20 minutes 30 minutes away but it's a it's a significant difference in environment and this time i would be leaving on my terms i wouldn't be fleeing like this is like this is uh new york or seattle or la i would be leaving on my own terms making decisions for my own benefit and not taking a loss in the situation and making sure that if I was to move the studio, it would be to a a better environment, a better room for it, so I can spread things out. Not spread things out, but have a an, a more uh, suitable setup. Like right now, the setup is great because I have a guest chair, I have two microphones, I've got the computers all here set up, I got the casting couch which is out of screen, and I can at I can move. What's cool is I can move the camera to any angle that I want. Uh, I can move the camera to any angle that I want so that I can capture one pe- one person, two people, or the entire room if I need to. The only difference that I would want to do is instead of having two microphones, I would want to consider having three or four. That would require an additional mixer being plugged into this mixer here so that two mics are going into one stereo set uh, or one stereo plug-in. I would have to test it out in theory, and it would require a little bit extra f- financially, not much, but it would have to be set up properly. So I'd have to make sure that when I set up the new studio that that was a possibility and it wasn't like finagling this or moving around that and it didn't look, things didn't look out of place. But I had to remember at the same time, like this is the spare parts studio. There's spare parts in here per se. And when I say by spare parts, I mean furniture that either didn't cost me much, didn't cost me much or didn't cost me anything. 
there's cheap furniture in here. Don't get me wrong. That I maybe either found on the side of the road or I bought for very cheap and repurposed or repainted or moved from one room to another. Obviously, I did not buy these. Um, I did not buy these these pieces of furniture firsthand. But they're super comfy and they really do add to the theme of the, of the whole studio. But if I was to redesign it, what would I do? Well, the way I have it set up right now is it's super comfy. People can sit, right, come in, sit down, and chill out and relax. It, it's not overproduced. It's not, uh, it's not uncomfortable to be in here at all. Okay? There's, there's, it's super comfy. It's temperature controlled. There's windows that close during the podcast. They're left open to keep it, the temperature proper. There's also a fan up top. And, of course, there's AC. So the whole place is... You're not. This is not a sweatshop room by any by any means. Um, we're not making sweaters in here. So, but also there is a ch there is a charm to not having everything look too modern. You know, not looking not, not making it look like the original set to the Rubin Report. But the idea that if you can come in and sit down and relax, like this is some type of small living room, is kind of the thing I'm going for. Like a comic book type of living room with some stuff that you would find if you were like in a 14 year old's. Uh, 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 you know, bedroom. You know, there, there's a there's a poster of the new Toyota Supra. There's all my my new coffee uh wrappers that are up. There's a couple. Uh, there's a parking sign that I stole. There's a bunch of other things that I liked and collect collected. Some stuff from my youth, and just that. But as far as moving things around, I would like if I was to have it my way, which I most likely will. Um. I would have, like, as far as the computers here, there, if you're just listening to the podcast and not watching it, there is two, there's three screens in front of me. There is uh, a article, there's an article laptop, which reviews, uh, plays all the sound bits, and plays, and I read all of my articles from it. And it's facing me, you don't see it. There are, uh, there is a recording podcast, there is a recording monitor, which, um, which the laptop is right behind me and it records the entire podcast and edits the entire podcast. You see the screens though. You actually can see the screens. They're faced towards the camera, uh, maybe just sort of as, as a set piece. However, in the new, the way the new studio will probably be set up, I would prefer that the can the way the can the computers are set up, excuse me, I would have these computers set up more along the lines of like a table where when I sit down, I can have everything facing me and everything will be a little more accessible to my left and to my right. So that, well, it's a little more, um, it's a little easier to reach everything because everything I do, once I finish recording the podcast, everything I do is to my right. All the clicking and deleting and editing goes is done to my right, where I would prefer to have even the video portion the audio portion and the um, the Squarespace because I do the audio editing for up when I upload it to Squarespace. Excuse me, I'm going a little technical now. I do all that on this the uh, PS Celeron computer, which is a computer that is outdated for m most heavy uh, heavy stuff. Like I can't do any video editing or whatnot, but it it will do audio editing. It will do um, online Squarespace work. And it's a very it's a very decent computer for the fact that it cost me nothing to really put back together. But I would want this stuff set up where I'm a little more like a DJ and I have stuff to my left and stuff to my right. And then completely out of frame is the uh, record video recording computer, which has a is two monitors. It has its standard. It's a standard laptop. It specifically sh uh, records in OBS, and then I edit it 
later for YouTube and for Facebook. However, I would prefer, and it has a 32-inch TV attached to it as well. It's basically just the viewing monitor, so I know what's going on in case like I'm kicking something I shouldn't be or if I got a booger hanging. That happens. Uh, but I would rather that like, that would be closer to me. So the question is, how would I design that uh, in such a way where it wouldn't be obtrusive to the viewing, to the viewer, and to the guest, and to anybody sipping coffee in the spare parts in the uh, excuse me in the casting couch? So how do I have it set up? This is also a staging area for this room is also a staging area for all of my uh, gear when I go out onto location. My drones charging the batteries, my cameras charging the batteries, testing out all the audio, the video and audio equipment in this room is done here. So I have to make sure that the shelving is properly, what do you call it, uh, set up so that things aren't clumped together. But this, that's one thing I would prefer to do. And I would still have it very spare parts-ish. Like the coffee tables would still be here. The spare parts, the blue coffee table with the partial glass and the cartoons and the Magic the Gathering cards, all that stuff would still be there. It would still go with me. Um, I just think it's, it's in its own right, it belongs here. It's kind of like a centerpiece. Now, and then, and then of course, I would continue to uh, ruin the walls with all of my uh, frames that have coffee uh, wrappers in them and then a few other things as well. But obviously, with a new studio, there'll be some minor changes. And then there'll be my ca my Miller Lite calendar, which is to my left right now, maybe in another section, but I'll bring that with me as well. So a lot of this stuff will come with me. The uh, To my left also is the Cyberpunk helmet that I wore in Cyberpunk Rave and Cyberpunk Adventures, which I will actually, I, hope, I would love to do a couple more of those too. Even though I don't have the Dodge Stealth from the original two, uh, two videos, I would still be able to do a video on that because I have a concept in my head and with my new, my newfound skills in uh, CGI editing, I would be able to create uh, some really interesting concepts with that, with that character. So I look forward to doing that as well. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm looking forward to doing. If I'm moving next, whether it be next year or moving in a couple months, I don't know. I don't know. We'll, have to, but I, I'm not, I'm not against it at all. As far as if I was to leave sooner rather than later, but it is, we are. I mean, I yeah. This is this is going like this is all getting getting thrown on a truck, and Audi, we Audi for sure. Um, and it's gonna be an ex it's a, it's exciting. I mean, even though my my energy levels are kind of low today, kind of monotone. Uh, shout out to Johnny Monotone. Um, it's still. It, to me, it's exciting. I'm generally reserved. This is the I generally don't talk about when good things are happening or things I'm looking forward to doing because I know that things fall apart. Uh, I generally I don't want this one to fall apart, so I will make sure that it that it happens in one way or another. And it's 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 cool to be. It's okay, even though I generally don't portray excitement or anticipation. I want you guys to know that. It's okay to be excited for shit. It's okay to be pumped for, you know, anticipating something good happening in your life. Um, if not, it's okay. I mean, I don't, I generally don't portray that shit because uh, maybe it's just past disappointment or what have you, but it's okay to get excited about shit. You know, it's okay to be pumped for something and look forward to something. Um, 
not everything is all doom and gloom, even though we are probably heading for uh, a civil war and stuff. It's still okay. There are still some things that if you are a believer in uh, the Second Amendment, <laughs> you can still have your piece of the pie. So as long as you have your wits about you, you're smart about where you go and what you do, there, you can still get excited about stuff. There's still going to be opportunity for you as long as you're paying attention to whatever the, the world's emotional market is handing to you. So it's really something to look forward to. And believe me, if I'm kind of thinking about how cool it would be to do it, I think you guys should get excited about some things as well. Some people right now, even people in my immediate life are not going through, they're going through some, some bummer type shit you know, some health problems. And you got to, I always remember that there are people out there that aren't as uh, tidied up as me. You know, as, as far as most people, I don't give a fuck about most people, but there are some people out there that's like, look, you got me here. You helped, these people helped get me to where I am. So it's important for me to, whether it's today, tomorrow, or next year, making sure that I return the favor to them or every once in a while trying to put a smile on people's faces. Um... So I just kind of want to throw that out there, just like an opening monologue, opening diatribe or whatever. Just thoughts in my head as far as uh, the studio itself, um, moving in general, and just if I was to redesign the studio. Like if you have your own little space, what would it look like? If you had a garage that you worked on cars, what would it look like? If you had a, a, a lab where you looked at food, you tried out new recipes, what would it look like? You liked if you if you were a kitchen monkey and you liked being in the kitchen and playing with things. You'd have a spice rack. How would you uh, design that? You know, so that you can have better access to the things that you use in the kitchen, so that you can you know music in each room. You every I mean you should have some type of uh, speaker system in each room. You know you don't need a, an Alexa or something like that. You need you could just have something where you just plug your phone in, and then boom, you can have music in that room. So. If you had, a, if you were in the kitchen a lot, how would you design that so you can have access to everything? If you, um, if you were into audio recording, you know, uh, how would how would you set that up? If you had a, a studio like this that you put together with very little money, how would you set that up? So that's one of the things I'm asking you. It's like if you could have something all to your own that brings the most out of your personality or out of your creativity or helps you get the most work done for your newfound business or your life's project uh what would you do how would you put it together you know and if you have questions or comments about maybe thoughts and how you wanted to design it or you had an idea for this or that like a sewing room or i don't know whatever you can shoot me an email positive sarcasm at outlook.com and maybe we can explore what would be a good idea remember this shit doesn't cost a lot of money you just have to be opportunistic so when you see things in the store on clearance online on the side of the road you take advantage of it so just think about that going forward i wanted to get to um before we get to q a i wanted to jump on this thing this is one uh i was gonna get to it uh last two weeks but it just there was just too many other cool things to really talk about so Comcast, this is, there's two articles that kind of go hand in hand. And one of them, this is from Cord Cut. The first one is from Cord Cutter News. And the second one is from sciencealert.com. So one has to do with the large communication companies. And the second, well, also has to do with it. But then NASA's involved. So the first one is regarding uh, 
This is from Cord Cutter News by Jess Barnes. Comcast, Verizon, AT&T, and other cable providers lost 1.5, 1. excuse me, 1.55 million customers in quarter two of 2020. So just the second quarter alone, uh, April, you have uh, July, February, March, and then you have April, May, June, and then July, August, September, and then October, November, December. There's your, you know, your, there's your quarters. So Q2 alone. So uh, some of the heavier months of COVID, when everything was shut down and people were losing their jobs or working from home or whatever, a ton of people were cutting the cord. And it was also not just COVID. COVID just accelerated it, but a sign of the times of people just not wanting cable anymore, not needing cable, not being able to afford cable. And then, and then of course, satellite where Dish Network was Dish Network I had back in 2008. They sucked then and they suck now. Um, but the idea of 1.55 million customers, it's a lot of people. So that's Comcast, Verizon, and AT&T that are the first three headliners. Um, as far as, excuse me, uh, full transparency, I am not, I'm no longer a an account holder with Comcast. I am an account holder with Verizon Wireless. And I am I own shares in AT and T, so I own stock in AT and not 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 much, but I do own stock in it. So just and I can t and I will actually be purchasing more in the future. So those are my you know interest positions, just in case you wanted to know. I don't you know figured I I see that on the bottom of articles that I read nowadays. So I figured I would share some insight in, into where my alliances and where they are. So like I said. I'm not an account holder with Comcast anymore. I've had I've had plenty of verbal battles that I've shared on this podcast with you guys. I've been a longtime customer of Verizon Wireless, um, and I've been relatively happy with them as far as a, 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 own, uh, a user of them. Have I had dropped calls? Yeah, I have. But I think that's I don't necessarily blame them for that. I think there's other line, outlying factors such as uh, did I just get disconnect from a wireless signal and what have you, but. Uh, no, I'm not unhappy with them at all. They've been, you know, I have a phone, I pay a bill, and they provide me a service. Perfect. Um, and then I get perks here and there. And it's not, a, it's, the bill's not expensive either. And I have a great phone. AT&T, I have no uh, actual client, so, you know, there, there's no client to provider basis there. It's just strictly a uh, shareholder and nothing more. So the article simply says, as, uh, as streaming continues to grow, cable TV has once again seen a major drop in customers. The latest, tusk, uh, latest numbers from analysts from Muffin Nathanson. Moffat Nathanson shows that for the second quarter of 2020, pay TV providers lost a total of 1.55 million customers. Quote, as more and more people leave the traditional ecosystem for direct-to-consumer DTE substitutes, programmers are increasingly moving their best content to their, their direct content. Uh, was it DTC? Direct-to-consumer uh, substitutes. Programmers are increasingly moving their best content to those platforms. Uh, media companies have no choice but to target this huge market with uh, direct-to-consumer SVOD and AVOD options. To address customers moving from cable to streaming, media companies are entering the streaming world through both launching their own services, like Warner Media's launch of HBO Max, and NBC's universal launch of Peacock. Peacock uh, also now hosts The Dan Patrick Show, a podcast that I listen to for... I think since 2008, I've watched it in video portion. I've watched it on YouTube. I've watched it on many different platforms. I watched it on uh, DirecTV's uh, streaming network. And now I just, they're also on YouTube and they're also on 
uh, Peacock. I think they're eventually moving it, but that's just, you know, for full transparency, like, yeah, I watched them. Um, let's see. So the, yeah, the M- so NBC universal is launching Peacock. That's brand new acquiring streaming services added to their portfolio. Like the Fox acqu- acqu- acquisition of streaming service Tubi, T-U-B-I in quarter two earnings, earning calls. We learned that Verizon lost 81,000 video customers. Dish Network was down 40,000 cable customers, along with a drop in Sling TV. AT&T dropped 886,000 premium TV customers. And Comcast lost 477,000 TV customers. Uh, let's see. The There was one bright spot for cable. Spectrum added 102,000 video customers for the quarter. Quote, our ability to grow our services this year for new and existing customers is a significant testament to our operating strategy, the quality of our products, and our significant investment in systems and people over the last several years. CEO and Chairman Charter Communications, Tom Rutledge. While Spectrum grew its pay TV subscriber base in part by assisting customers who were struggling during the pandemic, others specifically pointed to coronavirus as a major factor in the loss of subscribers for the quarter. Um, So these are just some things about people are switching over to streaming platforms. So you're going to see a lot less people. I mean, as you already know, this is kind of a no-brainer. You'll see a lot less people having comcast cable you'll see a lot people a lot less people having dish network you'll see a lot less people having direct tv uh cox communications cable you'll see a lot of people obviously signing on for uh you know comcast internet spectrum internet cox internet whatever is your internet provider um obviously whatever dish if you're out in the rural areas having dish um dish satellite internet which is generally slow so everybody's switching over to something that is, yeah. So they'll have to make the adjustments. I think it's great because it's forcing these legacy companies that have a, a significant monopoly, even though they are buying up a lot of these streaming plat already built streaming platforms. Like for example, um, Hulu bought a uh, Hulu bought a few companies. Hulu's owned by I believe NBC. Comcast has their own streaming service, so they're buying up already. Uh, already operating like it makes sense they're basically just trying to build up instead of like some of them are offering their own streaming services like like uh comcast for example has a ton of its own movies that it offers to its own to its customers but you can also through like for example amazon prime you can purchase uh you can purchase an hbo uh, subscription you can purchase a showtime uh, subscription but the idea that you're still hooked to cable for the most part. You're still st- subject to cable's prices. So even if you don't have Comcast cable, you're still going to pay a shit ton of money, like between 90 and $150 a month, depending upon the area that you live in, for just internet, just being hooked up to the internet. And the only way you can really mitigate those prices is by if there's a, if there's a competitor in the area, which there most likely isn't, and if you get rid of the rental, uh, the the rental modem and router that comes with uh, subscription to them, which is not a lot of money at the end of the day, because it's like five to ten dollars for the modem modem and rent, uh, modem cable rental fee. But however, it is money in the money back in your pocket if you go out and you just go on like Amazon or you go on eBay and you go and make those per- additional purchases on your own, and it's not expensive. And it is very smart and very simple to hook them up for yourself. Uh, however, there is another competitor on the horizon, and that is Tesla. Not Tesla for, so much, but 
Elon Musk in general because he has his Starlink system, which is coming online basically as we speak, as we speak. And for record, he has over 600 satellites already in the sky right now doing a low Earth orbit. We've talked about this on the podcast where because they're in low enough Earth orbit, they can deliver uh, cable-like or close to cable or DSL-like speeds to rural uh, areas all over the United States. So those people that were relying on slow internet speeds or having to be stuck with cable, uh, slow internet cable or slow dial-up, they now have the option of Starlink. Now, will that be available for people who live in more suburban areas or more city-like areas? I would, I would most assume that Elon Musk and his crew would love to have our money and our business because all he's trying to do is uh, generate enough, generate money and generate, yeah, just generate money so that he can get to Mars. That's his goal. It's just whatever he's doing, whether he's doing a five-for-one split with his Tesla stock or his, te- his company, yeah, com- te- Tesla or the Boring Company, wherever that money, whatever, however he can make money, it's all about getting to Mars for him. And one in building the Starlink system, and he is doing it. He is doing it with the, obviously he doesn't have to rent out his equipment. He has this. He has this. The the what do you call it? The convenience, I guess you would say, of having SpaceX. So he's got he's got the ships to get the satellites in the air, and they're both his company. They're his satellites, so it's much cheaper for him in house to do it all. He doesn't have to rely on NASA. Now. There are some issues, and obviously the main issue for AT&T and Comcast and Cox and Charter is that if Starlink is effective, obviously if they, if they start offering internet to, uh, to us cable junkies, we can start making the switch to satellite and start utilizing satellite and ditching cable altogether. Now, if Elon Musk flipped the switch tomorrow and said, you can now go ahead and get satellite internet from us, and the speeds will be very little different, very, the, 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 speed, the difference in speed will be very little, so you can do high-speed gaming, the, uh, the ping time, so basically the time it takes for the signal from your home to reach the satellite and for it to come back will be almost nearly the same as if you were using cable internet or a high-speed Fios internet or fiber optic internet. If that's the case, and a lot of people can still game, they can still uh, work from home through a VPN or do whatever they need to do. As long as they can do whatever they need to do from the comfort of their own home using Starlink instead of Comcast, they will do it. As long as the price is right or the price is the same, they'll simply do it just on merit and be like, well, fuck Comcast, we'll go to Starlink. If that is an option or a similar company is offering a similar option, they'll do it. Like I said, the reason they can do it, that Starlink can do it, is because the satellites are low enough in orbit that they can provide that type of speed. The problem or the problem beforehand um, was that the satellites were too high in orbit, so the response time was too long, therefore the, the speeds were too slow. It's called lag. It's called ping time, and they were far too they were far too slow, and response time was far too long to get uh, the mainstream user on board. However, there is a problem. According to ScienceAlert.com, uh, courtesy of Peter Dockrell, there is a vast growing anomaly in the Earth's magnetic field. 
And this has specifically to do with my, in my theory, has to do with Starlink. So NASA is tracking a vast growing anomaly in the Earth's magnetic field. It's actively monitoring it as we speak. As of last week, they announced it. It's a giant region in the lower magnetic intensity in the skies above the planet, stretching between South America and Southwest Africa. We'll get to why this may or may not be an issue in a minute. The vast developing phenomenon called the South Atlantic Anomaly has intrigued and concerned scientists for years, and perhaps none more so than NASA researchers. The space agency satellites and uh, spacecraft are particularly vulnerable to the weakened magnetic field strength within the anomaly and resulting exposure to charged particles from the sun. So uh, the South Atlantic Anomaly likened to NASA likened by NASA to a dent in Earth's magnetic field or a kind of pothole in space generally doesn't affect life on Earth. So there's no issue to people, at least not in a, uh, a you know, life or death capacity. But the same can't be said for orbital spacecraft, including the International Space Station, which just sprung an oxygen leak uh, this past week, which passed directly through the anomaly as they loop around the planet at low Earth orbit altitudes. During these encounters, the reduced magnetic field strength inside the anomaly means technological systems onboard satellites can short circuit and malfunction if they become struck by high enough energy protons emanating from the sun. These random hits may usually only uh, produce low-level glitches, but they do carry the risk of causing significant data loss or even permanent damage to key components. Threats, oblig threats obliging satellites operators to routinely shut down spacecraft systems before spacecraft enter the anomaly zone. Mitigating those hazards in space is one reason NASA is tracking the anomaly. Another is the mystery of the anomaly represents a great opportunity to, to investigate a complex and difficult to understand phenomenon. And NASA's broad resources uh, and research groups are uniquely well appointed to study the occurrence. I'm going to finish this article, then I'll finish up with my theory of what could happen when it, when it comes to cable, internet, and things like that. Quote, the magnetic field is a, actually a superposition of fields from many current sources. The primary source is considered to be a swirling ocean of molten iron inside the Earth's outer core, thousands of kilometers below the ground. The movement of the mass generates electrical currents that creates Earth's magnetic field, but not necessarily uniformly, it seems. A huge reservoir of dense rock called the African Large Low Shear Velocity Province, located about 2,900 kilometers below, so that's about 1,800 miles, below the African continent, disturbs the field's generation, resulting in the dramatic weakening effect, which is aided by the tilt of the, of the planet's magnetic axis, which moves uh, certain degrees back and forth every year. The observed SAA, the anomaly, can also be interpreted as consequence as a consequence of weakening dominance of the dipole field in the region. More specifically, localized field with reverse polarity grows strongly in the SAA region, thus making the field intensity very weak, weaker than that of the surrounding regions. That's some heavy tech talk, but we'll push through it. While there's much scientists still don't fully understand about the anomaly and its implications, new insights are continually shedding light on this strange phenomenon. For example, led by NASA heliophysicist Ashley Greeley, shout out to Ashley Greeley, 2016 revealed the SA is drifting slowly into the northwesterly direction, i.e. us, right? Us? Northwest? Yeah, that's us. It's, uh, it's just not moving, however. Even more remarkably, the phenomenon seems to be in the process of splitting into two with researchers this year discovering that the SAA appears to be dividing into two distinct cells, each representing the separate center of minimum magnetic intensity within the greater anomaly. 
Just what does that mean for the future of the anomaly remains unknown, but in any case, there's evidence to suggest the anomaly is not a new appearance. A study published last month suggests that the phenomenon is not a freak event of recent times, but a recurrent magnetic event that may have affected Earth as far back as 11 million years ago. Newsflash, there wasn't any satellites here 11 million years ago, at least not built by humans. If so, that could signal the South Atlantic anomaly is not a trigger or a precursor to the, to the entire planet's magnetic field flipping, which sometimes actually happens, if not for hundreds of thousands of years at a time. Obviously, huge questions remain. Even though the SNA is slowly moving, it is going through some change in morphology. So it's also important that we keep observing it by having continued missions, because that's what helps us make models and predictions. Here's the problem. Not so much for the International Space Station, even though there's people on that. So shout out to them. The idea that it specifically can target, doesn't target, but it can affect the pra the operations of low Earth orbit satellites. So whether it's through magnetic fields or direct sunlight or heat or shockwave or what have you, the, uh, the idea that this anomaly can affect low Earth satellite orbits through circuitry malfunction can be a problem. Whether, because these things have design speeds designed uh, uh, tracks, like they, they go in a specific direction at a specific speed with specific functions. And anything that could potentially short circuit those satellites is a problem. Here's the issue. Starlink, Elon Musk's baby. Well, there's it's not baby, it's babies. About 600 satellites. They all are in low earth orbit. They all travel in patterns like birds in low earth orbit around the world the question is do they travel and you can see them especially in pictures they do they these things travel in packs so that they can provide uh very quick communication with customers and clients and contract workers and whatever do they travel near this anomaly and if they do they travel through it are they affected by it imagine if a ton of them Imagine if a ton of these Starlink satellites, there's 600 of them, mind you, and they all work in synchronicity with one another. They travel through this anomaly, and one or more of them is subject to circuitry malfunction due to the anomaly. What happens? What happens to the rest of them that are around it? Do they pick up the slack? Do they fail like Christmas lights? And if so, how does that affect things on the ground? How does it affect VPN connections if there were one? How does it affect... Uh, telecommunications if there were any. How does it affect TV if there were any? Streaming services, financial information. That's an issue. And if they malfunction, what happens to their speed, their trajectory, their orbit? Does it go up? Does it go down? Do they burn up in the atmosphere? These are questions and issues that I'm concerned about if this anomaly is as dangerous as they say, at least according for low Earth orbiting satellites, which Starlink satellite satellites are specifically for. Are Starlink satellites capable of handling whatever capable of handling whatever this anomaly and the sun can give? If they can, great. They'll pass through the anomaly. No circuitry will get damaged, and they'll continue to provide services for the, whoever they're designed for. If not, do they require a replacement? How quick can the replacements get up? And remember, you're also dealing with not just Starlink, which is 600 satellites in itself but several other low-Earth or orbit satellites, space stations, and space junk, space debris, which we have a massive problem with. Not to mention continuing satellite uh, launches, space shuttle launches, and additional information and things of that nature. So how bad could, but in total, 
how bad could Starlink's operational activity be affected by this anomaly that seems to be heading closer to the United States, where most assuredly the Starlink act, uh, operations are are operating from? So I'm just curious, how's that going to affect it? Is that an issue? Is does Elon Musk aware of it? I'm pretty sure he is. But can these satellites handle basically a magnetic hurricane or a magnetic tornado, whatever you want to call it? So I'm just curious about that. If that's an issue. So we're at 42 minutes. Let's close up with some Q and A. Uh, I will be by the seacoast this weekend. I will be attending a private function. Uh, I will be. I'm contracted to record it. So you'll be seeing that on YouTube or, uh, well, most likely on YouTube. I have to get permission from the. Uh, from the clients first before publishing it on there. Uh, either can, either way. So let's go ahead and get some Q&A. And then we'll close up shop for today. Uh, you can find me. You can also, if you want to support this podcast and support the entire PS universe, you can go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate, or you can just go to positivesarcasm.com, click on the contact button. There's also a Robinhood and a Cash App link there too. You can utilize those for your own well-being and you'll be supporting this cause as well. You'll be supporting my life's project, my life's, Pro math, my life project. I would highly, highly appreciate it. Let's get to some Q&A. Where are they? There they are. I didn't do any Q&A last week. I was fine with that, though. All right, here we go. Is my mother-in-law co-opting another culture by asking for our child to call her Mima? My mother... What the fuck's a Mima? My husband and I have a four-month-old boy. I'm Korean-American, so our son would be called... So I... So our son would call my mother Halmani, the Korean word for grandmother. However, my mother-in-law keeps referring to herself as Mima and has seemingly decided that this is what our son will call her. I'm reluctant to use that term for her since it looks like commonly used in other cultures that are not her own. From my understanding, my husband's family has distant German roots three or four generations back. So at the very least, Oma would make more make way more sense. I think she picked Mima because it sounds more interesting than Grandma. But I'm concerned that it's more interesting because it's co-opting another culture. We are very far from when our son would even speak his first word, but I want to sort this out now. Do I just go along with Mima as his grandmother's name? Well, all right. Let's look at this from a, a very simplistic angle. There are far bigger issues. I understand protecting culture, protecting history um, is important at all costs. If you understand where you came from, you'll get a better clue of where you're going and you'll appreciate both along the way. So I would just leave it alone altogether, completely altogether. I'm assuming that there are more things uh, as far as, as far as Mima is something that you hear in a lot of cultures and it is something that is commonly used in the South. Therefore, whatever. I think I would just leave it alone because cultural sensitivity is for bitches. So you need to just leave it alone as long as your grandmother is present and a good grandmother. As long as the family that you are working with in, in conjunction with your children and with your spouse, as long as it's good family, it doesn't matter what you call them. It doesn't really matter what you call them in the long run. And there, there'll just be a story behind it that you can tell to your kids when they graduate high school. So it's really no big deal. Cultural sensitivity is not something you really need to worry about. There are people that are out there right now that are telling you that you should be worrying about cultural sensitivity. Those are actually the people you need to ignore. So if she wants to be called Mima, call her Mima. Who cares? Let's get to the next Q&A.
Why won't my girlfriend agree to keep dating me after I kicked her out of our home in favor of my daughter? I am a semi-retired man, still in good health, both physically and mentally. Several years after my divorce in 2007, I met a, I met a woman. I'll refer to her as Jane. Okay, great. After a few dates, I could tell we could be together for the rest of our lives. Congratulations. My daughter continued to live with me through her mid-20s because she was still trying to decide on the best career to pursue. Jane lived in an apartment with her teenage son, who has a medical issue that makes living on his own difficult. After two or three years of dating, Jane told me that she did not want to continue our relationship unless we moved in together. Around this time, my daughter was moving into an apartment with her boyfriend, and I agreed that Jane, with her son, could move into my house. Well, after three years, my daughter and her now fiancé decided that they had to move back to my house because of serious financial reasons. I spent much time and money rearranging my house to accommodate my daughter and her fiancé, Jane, and her son, and myself. From the start, the two families did not get along well, primarily due to different lifestyles. Because my daughter and her fiancé still have no source of income and Jane has a well-paying job, I realized that for the sake of harmony, I needed to ask Jane to find an apartment. Jane found an apartment within two weeks for her and her son, but she says she does not want to hear from me ever again, despite the fact that we both really love each other. I do not want to lose Jane, and I miss her terribly, but I believe I had no other choice. I have told her of many older couples who, for various reasons, children, finances, personal habits, chose not to not live together, to live not together, but near enough to still have a vibrant relationship. Jane wants none of this living apart together, which has been the subject of many articles. Am I being unreasonable to expect Jane to see the benefits of our relationship despite not being able to live together with me for the next year or two? Well, for the next year or two is, first of all, a year or two can ruin a relationship. Hell, a month to six months can ruin, apart a, a per se, can ruin a relationship. Shit, there are guys that get deployed, uh, and the next thing you know, they get a fucking Dear John letter. So, what do you expect? Yeah, I, I, I understand her concern, but let's back up a little bit here. Okay. You said that her now, okay, they, your, your daughter and her now fiancé, okay, had to move back to your house. So you made time and made money, financial accommodations for them to stay there. All right. Serious financial reasons. Okay. Now, Jane, let's see. The two families did not get along, primarily due to different lifestyles. Now, because my daughter and her fi fiancé still have no source of income and Jane has a well-paying job. Okay. I understand that G uh, that your daughter is your daughter. That's blood. I get that. But the, here's the thing is your daughter and her fiancé have no source of income. So if they have no source of income, what gives them any say? I understand that if you have a, if they have a roof over their head, roof over their head and food food on the table and a bed for them to sleep in, what's this whole lifestyle thing? I did talk about a, about a month ago about parents uh, parents accommodating their kids until the age of twenty two and twenty three until they invest enough in the stock market where they really don't have to go out and get bullshit jobs to you know compensate for their bloated fucking college debt. But this is different. They have no income, so. What makes you think that they have any say with what goes on in the house? If they're living there for free, basically, because they have no source of income, they don't get any say. They live there, they clean there, 
and Jane has a well-paying job and has to take care of her son who requires, well, help. So I don't know what the difference in lifestyles is, but let's face it. Jane has a job and your daughter and her freeloading fucking fiance don't. So if you want them to stay there, great. But they don't get a say unless you are contributing to the rent. You don't have say. You live there because your father was gracious enough to bring you back into the home for another year or two while you, quote, got your shit together. But it's up to you, Jane, uh, excuse me, it's up to you, daughter, and your fiance to make sure that Jane is felt to be welcome as, long, as well as her son, whatever his fucking issue is. So as far as Jane goes, I'm cool with Jane. If, if Jane emotionally cannot handle being away from you, maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's a bad thing. But it ultimately is Jane's decision. If she doesn't want to be with you anymore because you essentially kicked her out, then guess what? That's on you, bro. You basically took in two stowaways, even though they're blood, they're still stowaways. They don't offer anything to the rent, and Jane did. And you're and you said because of differing lifestyles? That's biting the hand that's feed you, that's beggars can't be choosers. We don't go by that rule. So I don't agree with the fact that, yeah, I get it. She you're not are you being unreasonable? That's not the question. Is Jane being unreasonable? And no, I'm, I completely understand where Jane's coming from. Uh, so quite frankly, you shouldn't have kicked Jane out. If you still want to get that ass, well, you shouldn't have thrown her out, dude. And you're paying the price for it right now. You made a mistake. You made a mistake. A common one, but you still made that common mistake. Let's keep the party going. Okay. Should I tell my neighbors I'm upset that they cut down the only tree in my backyard without permission? I moved into this neighborhood in my city in early May. I rent my house. I rent my house. My neighbor has lived in the neighborhood with their family for years and kind of act like they rule the area. Oh, I've seen this example before. For example, they place orange parking cones along a specific curb so no one will take their parking spot. Okay. Uh, certain neighborhoods, you kind of have to do that because people will just park there because they're assholes. My neighbors have also lit fireworks in the basketball court less than 100 feet away from my house, which is A, against the rules of the city we live in, and B, dumb and dangerous. Happens in my neighborhood too. Yes, it's fucking annoying. They also regularly pull the cap off the fire hydrant 10 feet away from my door so their kids and grandkids, nieces and nephews can play in the water, which I should note floods the streets and makes it impassable for cars. That's really fucking annoying. Your neighbors are annoying. You should sell your house and just move. That would solve all your problems. I don't know why you rented there, but you should just leave. If you work from home, good. Work from a different home. Lastly, they like to host parties and invite a lot of raucous friends, raucous, uh, friends and relatives. They'll be pretty noisy, but I've been patient and not gotten too annoyed with them. Even on Saturday when they woke up at 6 a.m., began blasting the black eyed peas in their backyard. Oh, I see where this is going. Don't make it racial. Uh, they had another party last night. I've gotten used to their no noise that I tuned them out. At some point, a guy in their yard took a chainsaw and cut down the only tree in my backyard. It was beautiful and healthy. Tons of big, grace, graceful green leaves that formed a single can. This motherfucker's white, by the way. Um, they cut the entire thing down except for a bit of the trunk and left a giant mess of branches and leaves for me to clean up. They didn't leave a note or anything. The only reason I found out about it is because my other neighbor said she was up last night and saw a guy in question hacking away at my tree. I'm pissed. My backyard is small since I live in a city, 
and it didn't have any foliage except for that tree. I want to tell my neighbor off, but even so, that won't bring the tree back, and I don't want to create bl bad blood between us. Between us, Should I suck it up and move on? Um, okay. Listen. If for, uh, the, the question is the tree. All right. I get it. There are, there's, here's one situation where if you cut down a tree and the tree has branches that go into your neighbor's backyard, or, for example, if you have a tree, if you have a tree branch in your backyard, if you have a tree branch in your backyard, but the actual tree is in your neighbor's backyard, you have to get permission. There has to be negotiation and permission before you do anything to that tree. Okay, and ultimately, I think it is up to the responsibility of the tr of the owner, the property owner who has the tree on it, to do stuff to maintain the tree, and especially when it comes to compensation and damages. If this tree was on your property, if you rented property, whether if you rented property or you own the property, and somebody comes onto your property and cuts down or manipulates or vandalizes a piece of that property including a tree that's illegal that's number one it's trespassing and number two it's vandalism and it's destruction of private property now if you own it you call the police if you rent it you call the landlord and the landlord deals with it um and you also have to contact the city and let them know at that point if they didn't apologize you uh, first of all you do talk to the neighbors you do talk to the neighbors you do ask them why they do that and they need to and they need to compensate the homeowner of that property. Number two, you and it obviously it's not gonna. I don't know if it's gonna happen, but you're gonna go that route anyways because you're the decent guy in this scenario. I think we'll just go. We'll assume that you're the decent guy in this scenario, and you put up with a lot of suburban shit. But if they cut down a tree, don't ask for permission and don't say anything about it. Guess what? That's illegal. They cut it down on your property. They trespassed. They broke the law. That's destruction of private property. Property. So you contact the landlord and you call the police. Simple as that. You're not playing fucking games anymore. There's no more games when it comes to protection of private property. Not right now. Not with the way everything's going on. You do not let people onto your property for any reason. If you stand for nothing, you will fall for everything and you will become victim. You'll become the victim of everyone. And they will come for you, and they'll just see you as a pushover. You don't let that happen. You don't allow that to happen. Somebody cuts on my tree. I have two massive trees in my property, two of them. And if anybody cut them down without my permission, fucking heads would roll. Okay? You do not come onto my property for any reason, any reason, without my permission. Zero. Whether I'm renting or owning. You don't step foot on it. If your dog pees on the sidewalk next to my house, that's different. He takes a shit, you bag it up, you move along your way. I don't care. I'm in a dog-walking neighborhood. No big deal. I love dogs. All kinds. So, but that's different. But if you come onto my lawn, touch my, if, you come, if you come on my lawn and grab something, if you touch my car, if you go near my plants, if you go near my trees, if you go to my front, if you step on my fucking porch, it's warfare. It's pure warfare. You are infringing upon private property. You are infringing upon the rights and the personal security of the homeowner and the renter. And the renter has just as almost has just as many rights as the homeowner. There are protections built in place. 
And also, it could also uh, compromise the rental agreement if property is destroyed without your awareness. That can comp that can void the rent as well. For example, if you have a porch and something happens to the porch and the porch doesn't get repaired, but you in your rental agreement, you got an apartment or a house with a porch. Well, if that doesn't get replaced, that's a violation in terms of the agreement and the contract is void. Granted, you have to leave, but it's a contract, vo it's, it's a voided contract. Same thing, with, it's, it's really no different with a tree. You signed up for a tree, you get a tree. And the fact, but the fact that they would just come over there and cut the tree down. Who the fuck comes over to your your property and cuts the tree down? What kind of psychopath are you? So yeah, dude, I get where you're coming from, and I don't agree with what they did. And yes, you need to contact the landlord, and you need to call the police, and you need to let the landlord know that you're doing exactly that once you get off the phone with them. So. We are at uh, 59 minutes. I'm going to go ahead and close up shop for today. If you guys have any questions or concerns or comments or hate mail, that's fine too. I'll read them on the podcast. Send me uh, positive sarcasm at outlook.com. Um, you can also just, you can also contact me through my website too. Uh, you can go to, just go to positive sarcasm.com, click on the contact button and you can format an entire email right there. It's all easy to do. If you have questions about posing music or anything like that, uh, congratulations to all the, the competitors who are finally getting back on stage. Posing music, you can go to positivesarcasm.com slash posing music. There's some samples there, custom ones that I did on my spare time. And you, any, any new ones, any requests, whatever, just email me. I'm more than happy to entertain them. But until then, you can find me on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podcast Addicts, CastBox, PodBay, iHeartRadio, anywhere where podcasts are available, including my own website. You can go ahead and download them from PositiveSarcasm.com. Uh, it's free, but feel free to support this website. It is mostly appreciated. Mostly? Completely appreciated. Uh, until then, I'd like to thank you guys for listening, watching, subscribing. You can also find this web, this uh, this podcast on YouTube, Positive Sarcasm Podcast. But until then, thank you for listening, watching, and subscribing. I will talk to you all next week. Recorded here from the Spare Parts Studio, this has been a Positive Sarcasm presentation.
support this podcast, go to positivesarcasm.com slash donate. Any amount is appreciated. Once again, positivesarcasm.com slash donate.